Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Clayton. On today's episode, Gabe Yannis and I, we're back on the mic. We're talking about the Rogue Invitational, my experience. We're talking about the history, a little bit of CrossFit and the legends that I've took part in this competition with. And of course, we dive into our thoughts on programming, what events we enjoyed, and just generally things we're fired up on coming up in the future. Before we dive into the episode, I want to remind you of a few things. Number one, if you get value from these, Tell a friend, let them know about the Kafka Klippas or maybe these episodes with Gabe. It was great to see many of you at the Rogue Invitational and hear about your thoughts on the podcast. And secondly, shout out to our partners at Element. I love their product. It makes me feel great, makes me perform better. So if you haven't checked out Element, we talk a little bit more about it in the show, but make sure to check out the podcast notes for a link for a free sample of their product. Keep crushing it, keep getting after it, and let's dive into a great episode with Mr. Gabe Giannis. Let's go. All right, Gabe Yanez, we are back from the Rogue Invitational. That is the topic of conversation on today's podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to dive into our thoughts on the Rogue Invitational. I obviously competed there as a Rogue legend, uh, which was a, a cool experience. This is my third time uh, competing as Rogue legend. And uh, I got my effort cup of uh, my Yeti effort cup. I'm fired up. I'm about two cups of coffee deep. And uh, this is going to be a hell of a conversation. So good morning to you. And uh, let's rock and roll. Yeah, man. It was a really fun event. You know, second year that I've gone. And it's funny, um, you know, now now I've been in Texas for, see, we moved March of 2021. So year and a half. And it's cool, man. This whole Texan pride thing is is very real. And it like, it, it really becomes a thing. And it was cool to like meet a whole bunch of like Texas collective gym owners, um, you know, really go to this event having been in texas for a while i got my texas strong shirt going on um dude it's a fun event it's a really fun event to have right here in our backyard in austin so i live like an hour 10 minutes away so i'm really excited i hope they keep having it um it's always a good opportunity to see you see a bunch of friends see a bunch of really cool athletes so yeah i had a lot of fun and i know there's a lot we want to talk about yeah. So the Rogue Invitational, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, um, I imagine many people who listen to this podcast are familiar with it, but in the CrossFit Games ecosystem, um, over the years, there's been a lot of changes in the CrossFit Games. It's been pretty obvious, and we've spoken a lot about that. But in 2019, Rogue came out with their first ever Rogue Invitational. And it was originally at the Rogue HQ headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. Since then, they have acquired or, or, or rented a space in um, Austin, Texas called at the Dell Diamond Center, which if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much positive on this. It's a minor league baseball stadium that also gets used for other stuff. And so it started off at the Rogue HQ. I imagine they probably either A, they felt like you know, they couldn't accommodate enough people or B, they, you know, they didn't want it at their HQ because it probably, I imagine, disrupted operations significantly. And so they moved to um, the Dell Diamond Center. Now, the Dell Diamond, um, just laying the framework here, for those of you who haven't seen these, these images, it's a beautiful stadium. And they do an incredible job at Rogue to make it look really good. I'd say that that stadium is the perfect size venue for this type of event, I, I'd say. Um, do you think so? Like, it's like, it's not too big, not too small, but gives room for growth. I'd say it's perfect. What do you think? Yeah, would you say that seats-wise, because um, you might be more familiar with this, do you think it's bigger than the stadium at Carson? It is, right? Not the soccer stadium. Maybe, no, no, not the soccer stadium. Maybe the, the... the tennis stadium, maybe. 
but th- but then again, m- yes, maybe the tennis stadium, but um, because it the thing about the up, right, right, because the thing about the soccer stadium at the going way back, it's crazy to think way back, but when the games were Carson, like the soccer stadium never seemed like intimate, right? Like it was always like yeah. the teams were super far away. You could kind of see people. It was a huge field. The, the tennis stadium, in the other hand, you know, you, you almost felt like you were like on the competition floor with the athletes, which is why, you know, that thing used to be packed to the gills and you had to wait in line for forever. If you wanted to watch something, you couldn't leave your seat or it would get taken, whatever. So I think that Dell Diamond is like a nice in-between of the two. But to your point, which I thought was interesting, it being the second year there, it still seems like it's not full, as full as it should be. But I agree with you that it's a nice in-between size. Yeah. Yeah. So we could definitely talk about, you know, how many people I thought, but so if you look at like um, back to like the game season, so road kind of came out, they created their own event and what their event is really intended to do. And I think this is an important note. They're not trying to test the fittest on earth. That is not the intention of the events. The events are supposed to be fun spectacles for the spectators and also for the athletes. It's supposed to be a good event where they can make some additional money uh, you know, in this, in the season. And I think that they knocked that out of the park, man. I think that each year they put money in the athletes pockets. Every single athlete that shows up there gets paid in some way, shape or form, maybe not a lot, but they're not out of pocket on their expenses. And I think that in itself is a huge step in the right direction for the sport. So, you know, based on my, inf- like the legends get paid a little different, but in general, if you're an individual athlete, you're getting your hotel covered, you're getting a flight stipend. Uh, you know, which which can also lead into some food stipend. And then at a minimum, if you're 10th through 20th, you're getting five G's. So, you know, you're you're probably covering your costs and walking away with five grand for the weekend, which at least is better than nothing or better than you spending five grand. So I think Rogue is doing it right in that sense. They're putting money in the athletes' pockets and they're making it something where the athletes are looking forward to it. Um, in regards to like the actual stadium though, for anybody who had never been to Carson, I think you're, the tennis stadium was absolutely electric. It was the most electric audience situation I've ever been in. I've, I've, you know, one time we did do a Team USA competition in the UK that was pretty electric because it was like the first time anybody from CrossFit had been over there. But in general, the tennis stadium was just something really special. I mean, literally, it got to a point where before I would go to the CrossFit Games, I would test putting the music as loud as humanly possible to overstimulate myself because when you're in the tennis stadium it was so loud you couldn't even hear your referee or your judge trying to count your reps you couldn't like it was it was so loud you couldn't even hear them i think that the dell diamond um you know wasn't quite that because it's an out you know but it was it's a great venue so anyways I, i could talk about this for days i'm very excited about this event volume all the way up with drake of course of 100 what else would you be listening to <laughs> you know, one thing though, because I, I I agree with you. However, you know, if we're saying you know that Rogue is doing it right by you know making this spectator friendly, getting the athletes paid, maybe not being so you know pigeonholed into like, hey, how do we make this the best test of fitness? Period. One thing that I thought was interesting was it seemed, and again, I'm speculating. You might have more information than me. But it seemed that there were less spectators, or at, at the very least, the same as last year. Definitely not more. And in terms of Vendor Village, I think there were a lot of vendors that were there last year. Some bigger brands, too, like 
Siete Foods and um, BPN, like local Texas brands that I would assume would have come came back that weren't there this year. And Vendor Village seemed a little bit lackluster. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if this is the direction the sport should be going. And granted, two years is like way too little bit of time to like make any conclusions or say that, hey, this event's not going to be successful. But I, you know, given the fact that I went last year, I was expecting it to be like a shit show this year. I was like, if anything, I was like a little bit bummed because I was like, man, it was so nice the first year. It was like, you know, not super crowded. Parking wasn't a nightmare. And I got there this year. I didn't even go on Friday because I couldn't. And I went on Saturday. So I was like, man, it's going to be packed. Like we're going to be waiting. And it seemed more less crowded than last time. So what do you think is going on there? Yeah. I mean, so in my opinion about the Rogue Invitational, I think that participation from spectators, you know, when they were doing like the final event on Saturday, like something like that heavy lifting, when, when everybody got in one place, I felt like it was similar to last year, but up until that point, I actually thought it looked a little bit less than last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit less or about the same as last year. In regards to Vendor Village, I think that, um, so I, I agree with you. I think Vendor Village could have been a lot more robust. I don't know if that was the intention of, I mean, Rogue showed up great. I mean, they look beautiful, but it is interesting. I'll give you a statistic. I was talking to one of the vendors there and this individual told me that they had the biggest single day they've ever had at any event for CrossFit ever. Bigger than the games, bigger than anywhere else. So it's interesting to me because there wasn't that many vendors and actually there was some that were kind of like tucked away, but this one person told me it was the biggest event they've ever done. So I don't know, man, I, I'd like to see the sport continue to grow, but that's something that I think we need to talk about. Like the reality is I know that you and I were just talking about this. When I walk around, you know, a lot of people that come up to me are like, Hey, I've been in CrossFit for a long time. I started because of you, whatever. Like I watched you back in X days it seems like a lot of the spectators have been in the sport for a long time. And I wonder how many new spectators are being attracted to the sport was something that like was just on my mind. And I know that part of that is my own personal bias because I'm hearing from people who know who I am, who have been in the sport forever. But I don't know, man, it just seemed like a lot of the people over there have been in CrossFit for a long time. I wonder how many new faces are coming into the sport. Um, and that's hard to judge, by the way. That's almost impossible. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, a lot of the times I think you selectively listen to things you want to listen to and like form your opinion on a lot of the times. This time, I don't think you're doing that. I do think that the, to me, it seems like the fan base is aging a little bit, you know, like the people that have like, like real, like, hey, I can't wait to see Jason Kalipa compete. I'd love to see Rich Froning throw down again. Like, you know, that's the, the the sentiment that I feel like is is more commonplace than when, you know, like you have Madero's who's objectively been like dominant in the sport lately, right? Like he hasn't lost a individual competition. I, I read a headline. I, I don't follow this closely since he like won the games. Like he's winning every single time. But I, I feel like, and again, I feel like I, I feel like I'm more of an outsider to the sport looking in, but it seems like, you know, there isn't like a huge Madero's like fan base, right? Like there isn't this like he's the guy. And I wonder if part of that is like you said, the fact that there aren't all these new fans that are coming into the sport now that are gravitating towards like who's the guy now? There's a lot of like nostalgia and like, you know, you keep hearing the conversation is always like, who's the goat? 
Froning or Fraser? Like, that's still the question we're trying to answer. And no one's really worried about like, you know, who's the next guy? Is Velner going to beat whatever? Um, and again, maybe me and you are both a little removed from the sport. So that's what we're hearing. But it does feel like the fan base is aging a little bit. Yeah. And I wonder what's going to happen. I mean, I do think people like Emma Lawson uh, is a good example. She'll hopefully attract a new audience or or others, right? I mean, I think that um, what CrossFit Games need to do, and this is just my opinion, is story tell about their athletes so that people feel connected to them. And I think that's one of the reasons why these quote unquote legends, ha- some of them um, are, I don't want to use the word timeless, but they, they've, they've aged well, is because back in the day, you know, a lot of us, I, I think we were coaches. We were, we were, you know, coaching in the gym. We had a group of people that would then go with us to regionals because they wanted to support us. A lot of these newer age athletes, they're not coaches. They're not, they're, they're specifically athletes who are coming up in the sport of CrossFit. And we, as a community, I think CrossFit HQ in particular needs to find a way to connect new spectators with these people in like a really like authentic way so that they feel compelled to like watch them online, go to events, feel that connection that maybe they felt with other athletes is, it's just my thought, you know, like the more that we could get to know these new athletes, the more storytelling we could do about them. Hopefully the more that we could, you know, um, get more spectators into the sport, because, you know, if, if the sport ever wants to grow past where it's at, we need new spectators coming into the sport and we need a story tell, I think to do that. That's yeah. And, and I I'd love to see the sport grow, man. Like I still genuinely enjoy going out to these events and watching, you know, not just you and the legends compete, but like seeing the athletes compete. I think there's really cool events and stuff, but the piece that I'm lacking is like feeling any sort of connection to any of the new athletes. I've like, I love seeing it and I love seeing like close finishes or like someone that was doing poorly in the beginning of the weekend, like maybe climb the leaderboard. Like those things are exciting, but I don't go into this events anymore being like, man, I want that guy to do good. And here's the thing that I, piece is missing. And this might be a little controversial. I also don't come in thinking, Hey, I want to see that guy lose. And I think that's a problem. Mm, I think that every sport needs a villain. It needs someone that you just love to cheer against. And you just, you don't want to see him do well. And you don't want to see him win. It's just like you, you need it. It it like, it's part of the fun of sport is like right now, this probably going to end by the time this comes out, but the Mets are not in the World Series, but the Phillies are. And I want nothing more than see the Phillies lose. I can't stand Philadelphia sports teams. <laughs> and I want to see the damn Phillies lose. But like that, me not being a Mets fan, it still has me like emotionally involved in the World Series because there's just like a team, they're our rival, they're in our division. Like I just, I don't want to see them win. And I feel like, you know, CrossFit for so long, the sport has been you know, overwhelmingly positive, but I think it's strange that we still have this community where, you know, when the last person is going, all the competitors go and like cheer for the person. Yeah. I get that there's a lot of feel good behind that, but I think that like, or, or I don't know, maybe this is more of a question. Like, is that what's holding the sport back? The fact that there isn't someone in either field that's like, Hey, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to win take names and I'm going to the locker room as soon as I'm done with this event. I'm not waiting for everyone to finish. I'm definitely not going to go cheer for them to finish because who knows tomorrow they might have a great day and they might beat me. Like I want them to not finish this workout. Yeah. I think that if someone came with that attitude, like. And then back it up. And then have to back. They'd have to back back it up. up. Right. Right. Well, so it's interesting. Um, I, I had access obviously to, 
you know, a variety from places at the event. And you and I, we were in the different areas. Yeah, but, well, the one area that you didn't have access to that I did was the <laughs> men's locker room. Okay. So in the men's locker room, they're obviously super strict, like no coaches, no media, no nothing. It's only, you're either an athlete or you're not in there basically. Um, or if you're medical staff or whatever. And I walked in there uh, in between an event and all the individuals are like sitting around and I just walked in there and like, I was like, yo, what's up? And I just was, you know, going to change or whatever. But you saw these like 15, 20 guys, maybe at that point, there's like 15 of them in there. And they were all like super cordial with each other, like super low key, just like talking. And it reminded me a lot of like when I was competing, that culture still stayed the same. And, you know, to your point, like when I look at the fields right now, the person that stands out to me the most as like, like the most, like I'm here to take names is probably Tia. Like she's, she's when, when she is in like game mode and she's like one of the sweetest people I've ever met, but she's also like, when she's in game mode, like you could see it on her face. Uh, and, and even with her, she's not like talking shit or she's not doing any of that kind of stuff. And so I think you're right though. Um, the fans need someone to root against and, uh, you know, like the, we've talked about Gordon Ryan so many times, but he brings people to the sport because people want to watch him lose. And then he doesn't. And they're like, damn. <laughs> yeah, man, you need someone you want to root against. But um, I, I, I don't know. In, in many ways, like that aspect of it is is what kind of made us fall in love with, you know, the methodology and the sport in the first place. So I, I get that it's tough to maybe want to move against it. But you know, we talk about this all the time. Sometimes the things, the people that got us to a certain point aren't the things, the people, whatever, that are going to get us to the next level. And I think we kind of have to figure that out to sport. Or not we. Yeah, know, yeah. The it, powers that be have yeah. to figure out. I, I think the one thing that, that can be done, well, forget, uh, you know, creating a villain is going to be a lot tougher, I think, than, um, than storytelling more. Like, I'd love to see more storytelling on... So for example, uh, Emma Lawson, I'm using her as an example. I, I, there was a variety of people in the back. Like I've known a lot of these people for years, the Annie Thors are the, the Cara, the, you know, whatever, Pat Vellner. And so obviously I'm talking to them and whatnot, but some of these other newer athletes, I don't know who they are. And, you know, I, I watched a YouTube video on, on um, Emma as an example, just to kind of get to know who she was because I, I just happened to see it on YouTube and I felt more connected to her as she's competing over the weekend, because I at least knew a little something about her. I at least knew her name. And I wonder what HQ could do to just story tell, story tell, story tell. So when these people do go to the games, I think highlighting the athletes is the way to grow the sport personally, um, more so than highlighting the actual workout or highlighting the directors of the games or highlighting any of that stuff. It's about highlighting the athletes because if they're not highlighting the athletes, I mean, cause think about all the sports, like, dude, think about like the growth of soccer with, um, you know, different athletes there or baseball, like people are connected to these athletes. Um, and I think that's what CrossFit needs to be doing a little bit more. That's, that's my take on it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely agree. Um, have you heard from Josh Everett? Do you know how he's doing? Yeah. So Josh Everett, he, um, he, he hurt his quad. So we were doing an event together. I'm gonna look up our and I watched him go down. I was super worried about it. And he said it's a quad strain. So he had a quad strain. But man, we were doing this, this partner DT workout and he was on the jerks and he just like tumbled over. I'm like, oh crap. And um, 
Then he tried to get back up on the next round and he couldn't do it. And so I thought it was his HCL just by the way he kind of went down. But luckily it was a quad strain, which is much better than an ACL tear. Have you like gone back and watched a video of it? I haven't. I, no. I haven't. No, but I was I was obviously in the stands and I was watching and it was straight out of one of those like sniper videos where yeah. they like sniper someone. Like he was like mid-jerk and like literally the the bullet hit him right in the knee and he went down hard. I dude. did and and dude, I am by the furthest thing from an expert when it comes to injuries, but I felt like it couldn't have been a knee thing just because he was able to bike the next round. I feel like if it had been like an ACL thing, I know that, you know, adrenaline is pumping and sometimes, but I feel like you wouldn't have been able to pedal had it been like a, at least a full tear, well, given my very non-expert non opinion here. Well, he, he finishes his jerk and he comes off and I'm like sitting there like, uh, and he goes, he goes, dude, I heard, I heard, or I felt a pop. Yeah, he I said felt he felt something the pop. and, um, you know, I, I have lack of stability or something like that. And I'm just thinking to myself, well, that sounds like an ACL tear to me. Um, so then I hit the next round. So he has what, I don't know, two minutes to, you know, kind of recharge. And he gets back on the bike, gets back on the deadlift, and then he stops. I look at the referee or the judge and, uh, or maybe the guy, you know, one of the head referee comes up to me. He's like, hey man, like, just like mirror off somebody else and like fi figure it out. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Like, you know, that's, that's legend style right there, man. Like, ah, we're going to do this, but if you can't do that, do this. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, he's doing okay, man. I'm going to, I'm going to go down and actually see him um, at some point. I, I really, Josh Everett, for those people that don't know, is one of the most, he's very educated in strength conditioning coming from his uh, background, um, working in college athletics and then transferring into working for the military. Um, I think he has a lot to offer for sure. Yeah. Josh Everett like predates like me being super like invested in the sport. Like I know of him now, but he isn't one of the names that like, I remember growing, watching YouTube videos of or, or, or whatever. Um, and it was funny because Liz who listens to this podcast, so she'll listen to this piece who does all our social media. She was like posting the picture and she didn't even recognize or wasn't sure. She wasn't sure. I want to give her, yeah. she just wasn't sure who Josh was in the picture. And it's funny how like the sport goes back that deep, right? That there are people, because actually I was in the stands too. And um, Ariel, my, my my wife actually asked me who um, Tanya Wagner is. Oh yeah. That's another yeah. like OG, OG. Yeah. So Tanya Wagner's OG, OG. She's 09 champ. So she, so just to, maybe we could title this one a little bit, CrossFit Games history for some people. The first original CrossFit Games champions was OPT James Finch Gerald and uh, uh, Julie? Um, um, why am I? Um, oh no! The history it. lesson. I just uh, history lessons off to a rough start. Uh, <laughs> Pull up the Google. Because uh, uh, a lot of people um, incorrectly think that Annie was the first female champion. Julie, yeah, Julie, Julie Gentry. That's I, uh, yeah. So. I mess. I was. I was gonna butcher her last name. So it was James Fitzgerald, and then Jolie. I was gonna say Julie Gentry, and um, that's my apologies. She is currently, I think, if I'm not mistaken, still a police officer. And dude, she was so inspirational um, for so many years for me. She was just embodied everything about CrossFit. She was, you know, law enforcement, total badass. So she won that first year, and in 2007 didn't get much like heat. 
Then in 08, it was me and Katie Henniger. And so for those people I don't know, Katie Henniger. I, I didn't know that. And her husband, Bill Henniger, uh, own Rogue Fitness. So Katie Henniger is not only a CrossFit Games champion, she's also a Division I basketball player for uh, Ohio. And so she's a badass. Then you go to 09. And maybe it could have been me if I hadn't have passed out on a run. I'm, I'm not bitter about it. But it's, <laughs> it's Miko Salo. Um, and then Tanya Wagner was that year. Got it. And you know what's funny about that year? So, so wait, we, was it? Yeah, go ahead. Finish, finish, finish. I, I had a question what's about What's funny is we, we, we finished the 09 games. And at the time, I took fifth. Um, anyways, I took fifth. It was a little bitter, but it was okay. <laughs> and we finished the last event. You like like uh, overhead lunge this 45-pound plate over your head. We finished the event. And uh, <laughs> Nico's there. And at the time, <clears throat> his English, I don't think, was that bad. <clears throat> I just think that he was like a little bit more of a shy individual. And I just remember the only thing that I heard him say all weekend, the only thing was like after everything was done, whatever, was where's my money? Uh, Cause like, it was like, cause he got $5,000 for winning. And so he won that event along with Tanya Wagner, who then became Tanya, just a lot of the commentating. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. 2010 was Graham Holmberg and Chris Clever, who was also uh, a legend. So when did, when did Annie win the first year? <clears throat> Annie Sakamoto? Mm, no, Thor's daughter. Annie, Sok uh, Annie Thor's daughter won either 11 or 12. I don't know why I thought it was, she was super, super early. I guess I just remember the clip of her like doing the muscle up. That was at the 2009 CrossFit Games. She got her first ever muscle up. That's right. So she is got it. like the epitome of an OG. She, I just remember her, she was wearing like these, we could probably, you guys could pull up the video, but you know, she's coming from Iceland, comes all the way over here and she got her first muscle up right there because the final event, the final event at the 2009 CrossFit Games was, it, it was like a chipper, but it started off with like 10 muscle-ups or something of that nature. And at that point, dude, muscle-ups were so new. It was so like, it was so raw that a lot of people had never even done them before. And uh, yeah, she got her first one that day. It was pretty, it was a big deal. That was another thing that I was talking to a couple of people I was hanging out with in the crowd. Um, you know, I feel like for a long time, 30 muscle-ups in a workout was like the oh. benchmark, right? Like that yeah. was you never really program more than 30. And if you did, it was like crazy, like single workout. And they had the one workout at this year's uh, Rogue Invitation that was seven rounds of seven muscle-ups, goblet um, goblet squats. They were heavy. They were heavier than the usual, like 70 pounds for, for gentlemen and 53 pounds for the ladies. I think it was 60 something for the ladies and 80 something for the men. And then what was probably what, a 200 meter run, but up that really steep hill. Yeah. And it was seven rounds of that, dude. And That's a lot of muscle ups. It's forty nine, yeah. forty nine muscle ups in a workout, and you know most of the men finished it. Um, and out of the women, I think you know Emma Lawson was the only one that like got the closest to finishing it. But there were a couple of women that finished the muscle ups of the workout. So forty nine muscle ups in a fifteen minute cap workout with what was a pretty aggressive run because that was pretty steep. And some heavy goblet ball, goblet um, squats. It just—it's amazing how the sport has evolved and what these athletes can do now. Like it's—it's it's and crazy. those were on high rings. So something to consider is that 
when you're on high rings, when the strap is further than like six to eight feet, it's a game changer because you get so much whip in those rings that if you get off your cycle, dude, you are so screwed. And so you have to be more vertical in your muscle up transitions. And so that's a really good example of not only being good at muscle ups, but also being good at muscle ups on high rings. By the way, Annie Thor's daughter won in 2011. I just pulled it up. Uh, Chris Clever took second and Rebecca Voigt took third. And then for the women, uh, and then she also won in 2012. And uh, yeah, 2013 was so, but um, so, I mean, think about Annie Thor's daughter, right? Comes in in 2009, wins 2011, wins 2012, comes back, gets back on the podium. I mean, dude, she's just incredible. But talk about the athletes. The muscle up one was cool for sure. It was cool. But the one that was probably the most impressive to me. Um, and I think the programming, you know, there's always stuff you could pick and choose what you like, what you don't like. But the one event I found particularly intriguing was the 405 back squat. I found that to be particularly intriguing to me because I've never seen a load that heavy for that many reps at a CrossFit competition. I mean, dude, you're doing 405 for 15 reps with, with box jump overs. I was shocked at how fast and how proficient people move that bar. It was, it was, I, and, and I've also never seen for anybody listening, I've never seen someone take weight off the bar and then put it back on. I've never seen that ever. And I don't know if the judges knew what to do. There was one of the female competitors. I don't know if maybe she thought she didn't have enough time to warm up. I don't know what it was, but they were at 275. She pulled the 50 pounds off the 25s, hit a rep then put the 50 pounds back on and then hit that rep for one. I thought that was pretty interesting. I've never seen that before. Yeah. I mean, could be not enough loading or time in the warm-up area. Right. And that could have felt like a, like an overwhelming um, jump, especially if that's closer to PR. I mean, it's so interesting how those big lifts are so dependent on like priming your nervous system and you know, obviously she hit the 275, but there's something to be said about like the jump and the feeling of having that weight on your back, like yeah. hitting something a little bit lighter, but probably heavier than what she could hit in the warm-up area was just that little primer that she needed to maybe feel a little bit more comfortable making that jump. Cause we've all been there, you know, you're building up to a heavy, whatever If you take too big of a jump. Sometimes it could feel like, like, how am I ever going to get this? Even if it's a number that you've hit before. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked to see her do that only because like, even if she didn't have much time to warm up in the back, like let's just say she's just doing air squats to prepare or whatever. I was surprised to see her drop 50 pounds, actually 60 pounds because they took off some change plates. Like, because for me, hitting a heavy, let's just say 275 versus hitting 215 and then jumping to 275. I mean, dude, that's a big jump as it is. It's not like you're taking off 25 pounds. It's a big jump. Like you're, you're jumping jump. 60 pounds. I mean, that's a big jump regardless. Big jump. So I was surprised to see that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that, that, that's a good point. It's not like she hit something that was like 20, 30 pounds lighter and then went up to it. Well, it would be like the equivalent at a men's weight of going from 405 to 315, then back to 405. I mean, that's a huge jump, dude. It's a big like, jump. Um, but yeah. in either case, it, I thought that, um, I thought the events were, you know, generally exciting. You know, they went a little bit longer on Thursday. I think that there was a few ways that, you know, there was this one event with rope climb, overhead squats, and like a, a bag carry. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that one. Yeah, I think that, you know, look, I, I love Josh. I love Spiel. I think they're incredible. I think they had great intentions on the event. Um, I would just say that for that one in particular, 
they moved the bar so fast at 135 for overhead squats that being a judge was really the determining factor because it was like an elimination bracket. And I think that if they maybe increase the load, maybe change the movement from an overhead squat to something else that's a little bit easier to judge. It's just so difficult to yeah. judge. I mean, it, it was a dead out sprint and it's so difficult to judge overhead squats at that weight for those athletes. It, it was, I probably would have switched out that one. Aside from that, I mean, I thought everything else was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely an event that I wanted to talk about a little bit because um, both of us mentioned it right after the event. And yeah, I think that, you know, those guys did a terrific job programming. I think sometimes you just, it's easy to underestimate how freaking fit these athletes That's what are. It is. Like yeah. it's, it's tough, man. And you're right. It came down to like, what judge did you have? Dude, and I'll tell you, someone made a compilation of this. There was a female <laughs> judge in lane three that if you were in lane three, dude, in that workout, like you might as well like tip your hat and like be like, well, well guess it's not going to happen this time. It was pretty crazy, man. And, and it's funny because the group that I was sitting with, we were like talking about it and we started watching just lane three. And sure enough, man, every athlete that did that workout in lane three got minimum two, no reps, usually three or four while everyone else was some would get one, but most people would just be like, you know, a, a, a game of, of who's going faster. And again, like no fault to that judge. I mean, being put in the position of like trying it's, to judge it's impossible, them moving dude. that fast. But I think it does beg the question of, you know, cause I think top prize for the rogue Invitational was 250,000, right? That's a lot of money. Yeah. That dude, that's a lot of money. That's a quarter of a million dollars prize purse. And this person is deciding whether you get that or not, arguably, especially because she was in the middle lane. Like she got a lot of the top competitors, you know, that were coming in that last heat. Like at what point does the sport need to move away from volunteer judges and start paying professionals that even a paid professional, let's just say that. I, I consider myself a professional, right? Sure. I've been around this sport for forever. I've watched 10,000 overhead squats. In that setting, I think it's more of a question of, so I agree. Yes, should we not have volunteer judges? Okay, we talk about that. But I think more so than anything, it's like we need to look at the programming and recognize that there's going to be areas where maybe just some things shouldn't be done the way it's done. Meaning like everybody's going to come off that one road climb at the same time. Everybody's going to go as fast as they can on 10 overhead squats. And then basically they're grabbing this thing and they're running with it. So maybe what we should have done is in a sprint style workout like that, just not incorporate a movement that's so difficult to judge that I think that would have been the the better solution for this particular one. Um, Yes. In my opinion, you know, I, I completely agree with you. I think that it was the nature of the circumstances of the workout, how fast they were moving, like the overhead squat being a little bit tough to judge, especially when they have to do it like, as fast as possible because I was lightweight for all of those athletes. Dude, they were so fast. And I'm not necessarily saying that had, you know, these been paid judges and they're, you, you know, not volunteers that it would have worked out any differently. It just kind of like, it begs the question of because judging can play such a big impact on the outcome of these competitions, at what point does the sport require it to be like a paid position where there's like very clear, like, you know, ranks that you need to go up at, like, you know, like you can't just volunteer to umpire the world series. 
You have to have years of umpiring in the minor leagues, pay your dues, like be consistent enough that you get to the point where, you know, like that kind of, of, of end game is in your hands. And I, I, I wonder at what point we have to move in that direction because at least it's my belief at this point that it's purely volunteer and they're always looking for judges. I think, I think from that perspective, I I do think at the CrossFit games, most volunteer, most judges, most are part of CrossFit HQ staff, if I'm not mistaken now, but I I mean, yeah, we got to talk about that, but I, I I do think from a judging perspective, it's just tough in some movements, man, regardless. But I, I, I do think that they're, they're aware of it and they're trying to in, in improve it. But one thing I would put back on the athletes though, is just like I said that I shouldn't have left it in the hands of the referee for the jiu-jitsu tournament a couple months ago, my position on judges, and I've had hundreds over the years, my position is always, it's my fault, not the judges, sure. because I should, the judge should never be able to, and, and that's a, that event is a tough one, but you know, also the cream rises to the top. Look at Justin Madero's did really well. If I'm not mistaken, I think he won that event. He did win that event and he was in those middle lanes. Um, and it's because he knew what he needed to do for that judge to get the standard, maybe as an example. Um, and you should have left no doubt, but for that event, I just think it was just, it was a tough mixture of exercises. I think it was all, out of all other events, it was pretty self-explanatory, but right. that one in particular, but when you have so much money in the line, you know, it, it does, it is tough. You know, I saw Pat Bellner put up something two reps away from like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Like, you know, <laughs> so I mean, cause he had that final grace at two twenty five, and I think he just missed, I think he missed two reps, uh, but those were not judging factors. It was just, he just, no, missed that, he, he missed the reps. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. That's tough. You know, uh, dude, that, that is wild. And, and, you know, to clarify before we move on, like, I think that, you know, people that give up their weekends, you know, and get like a pair of shoes in exchange for like, you know, volunteering long hours, like man, salt of the earth. Like they're the reason that the sport has gotten to the point that it's gotten. Um, and I know that they're going out there with the best intentions to be fair and just, so, by no means is this like a, Hey judges, you know, like get it together. Um, if anything, I'd love to see the same people that are that passionate about the sport, be able to do this and like, you know, like get paid to do it. And there'd be like, you know, more, more kind of like rigid expectations and like training going up to it because it's, it's a job like anything else. But I just wanted to make sure that like, you know, it's not me like hating on the judges. It's a tough job. It's an impossible job. It's an impossible um, with a lot of event. It was on that particular event. It's almost an impossible job on the overhead squat. Like everything mm-hmm. else is pretty easy, but you know, it's, it's interesting though. It brings up the question that I've asked many times to you is like, you know, we, we just continue to want to do new events, new options, which by the way, the muscle up bar with like the thick log was badass. That was like my favorite thing I did all weekend. It was just different. It was cool. It was also really cool to see some, I don't know if I saw any men. I saw maybe, maybe some guys. Because uh, I failed one actually, but also one some a lot of women in the back not being able to do it and then to be able to figure it out and get it that was pretty cool to see because they gave us the bar in the back. Um, they didn't give us the monkey bars, which I wish they had because I would have been less nervous about it. But but back to what I was saying, it brings up the question of like if if these events had been done many times in competitions in the past, maybe some of them wouldn't be brought up anymore because they would have judging issues or or 
I just, I wonder if the sport is going to get to a point where, hey, you know, in, in a rogue invitational, instead of it being 10 new events, it's three new events and seven that we've done in the past because yeah. you know how they're going to go, you know? And that it's just, that's just, that that's what I think should happen. I actually think that spectators would like that more to be able to say, hey, last year we did this muscle up goblet squat workout. The record time was 12 minutes. Let's see who can get it in, you know, 11. And I think people would get excited about that type of stuff to give them reference to other years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so tough to move away from the, the unknown and unknowable. Right. Um, Cause I was so deeply ingrained in like the culture that created this thing, but I, I, I tend to agree with you, you know, like it would, it would solve a lot of issues, right. It would solve to be a able lot of to issues. say, Hey, clearly that this didn't work. We'll either change it and you know, it's coming next year, or, you know, that this isn't going to come. Um, yeah. But I thought overall, like I, I like, I like the events, but they're cool. Um, the monkey bars, so you had to traverse this monkey bar. And I was really worried about it because I, I wasn't able to test the monkey bars. And I, I, I was legitimately worried. I was like worried because I didn't want to be that guy who like is trying to be all super fit and then gets on monkey bars and slips off or, or can't like, or has to be like one stop, one stop. And I was like, I had not, I hadn't had a chance to practice, but it was good. I was able to smash the monkey bars. They were very, very easy. They were the least worry thing I had to do, but um, that one threw me off a little bit. Anyways, I could talk about the Rogue Invitational for a while. I, I really enjoyed that event. I enjoyed every year, and I think that Rogue is incredible. I got a, I got a bat too. I got to show you next time the the. I mean, I showed you the bat, but you know, you, you get, didn't show you me get, the bat. Oh, dude, you get cool prizes at the gym. You get, you get cool the jersey. Yeah, dude, I got my jersey. It's over there. I get the jersey. I got the bat. I mean, dude, I'm going to be wearing my jersey to Caden's baseball games, you know, rocking it. Dude, I love that. Yeah, they do a good job last year with the uh, the cowboy hat and the boots, this year with the bat and the the jersey. Um, they make it like a really fun event for the athletes, which I think is is good and really nice, especially given like at the point in the season where it's at. Because, um, yes, there's a lot of money involved, but it does feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun time for people. Yeah, one thing that, you know, got – was got me fired up is before I left, I'm talking to Tia and I'm thinking like, Oh, you know, what is she doing next year? Blah, blah. I'm like, Hey, how'd you like being on the side? You know? And I was expecting her to be like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was good. She was just so like, man, I got to get back out there. I'm fired up. I cannot wait to compete. I'm just thinking like, Oh, okay. All right. Tia's got some fire in her. And so um, watch out everybody. Watch out. I, I, I think Tia, she is coming. And she's gonna be coming strong. I that's my opinion. That was the way I finished my weekend. Was she was the last you know athlete I I was talking to, and man, she was fired up, dude. So I, I'm I'm excited to see what she does next year for sure. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah, um, and then hey, by the way, you know, uh, shout out to Rich Froney uh, for playing baseball with Caden. That was a lot of fun. We got to those are the kind of things we get to do as a legend, right? We get to be in the back doing our thing and just playing baseball. And we had to stop because all the athletes were warming up and uh, it just wasn't, it was a little rude. So we had to stop, but yeah, man, like, like it was just these damn legends. Dude, the legends, what the hell are these, what, what, what are they doing back here? So old, it was a good man. weekend, man. It was a good weekend. I'm excited for the next opportunity. You know, like I'm, I'm competing again in a couple of weeks in jiu-jitsu, uh, maybe competing at the end of the year in jiu-jitsu. We'll see. And then um, I will be, you and I talked about this. I will be doing the open. Um, in some way, shape, or form. I will be talking about that more. In some way, shape, or form. You're doing the open. Period. I'm doing the open. I'm doing the open. <laughs> but 
<laughs> you know, I could do it a few different ways. I might fly out to Cookville just to, to challenge Rich in, in one of them or something. That'd be fun. Oh, man. Yeah, let's make it happen. Two things really quick, though, before we sign off. Um, first thing is, did you use any element while you were competing? Uh, dude, yeah, of course. So No brainer. That, no, it is a no brainer, especially in like those higher stress situations, which, by the way, I don't want to put legends on it. Like, it's not that high stress, but you're still some- competing. You're still competing. Like it's pretty low key, but you're still competing. But yes, hundred percent. I got this new 64 ounce bottle from Yeti. And I think I put um, two elements in it. So it wasn't like overly salty, but just enough where it had some flavor and kept me like feeling fresh. Like I really, honestly, dude, I really like their product. Like I'm not just saying that because they became a partner of the podcast or whatever. Like I, I genuinely like the element product. And I think it makes me feel really good. I don't, I, I got to get Rob Wolf on to understand more about why it makes me feel. We got to get him on. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we got to get him on, but yeah, just make sure that if you are interested in trying a sample pack of element, Jason uses it. I use it all the time. It'll be in the show notes. Second thing. It was so much fun meeting people that listen to the podcast. Like so, so much fun. Just hearing people come up to, I, I know they came up to you. I talked to a bunch of them when I was there on Saturday um, I love that people enjoy these conversations, listen to them. So just want to give a big shout out to everyone that we saw at Rogue and listens to the podcast, but just everyone that listens to the podcast overall. Yeah, no, for sure. It was, it was nice. You know, there's, there's, it was nice to talk to people who listen to the podcast and if you do, right. And if you get value to these, just share with a friend, let someone know, hit us up. Um, but we're going to keep doing it. I actually set up a new podcast room at our Campbell gym. Um, and I got, I think Hinshaw is coming over this week. We'll be doing more in-person stuff there. I really want to invest more into the podcast, have more in-depth, fun conversations from my background, from Gabe's background, from different backgrounds, and try and add as much value as we can to you know anybody listening to the podcast. So really appreciate your guys' support. Keep listening. Enjoy our previous episodes and keep rocking and rolling, right? That's it. All right, guys. We'll see you again next week for another episode and uh, keep crushing it. Bye-bye.